So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7 today. If, you're, uh, if you have your Bible or your app or whatever you've got, you can illuminate, you can turn your, in your Bible. Matthew chapter 7. We're spending a year looking at the teachings of Jesus. We're looking at the life of Jesus. We won't possibly be able, be able to cover it all in a year. In fact, we extended this series that we've called the greatest sermon ever because we're looking at the sermon on the mount this the sermon that jesus gave that's what makes it the greatest sermon ever it's a sermon that he repeated over and over again we extended it to try to do it justice which is impossible to do in fact i'm going to be doing three sections of matthew chapter 7 this morning they really could be three separate messages but i think we're going to see a thread that brings them all together But it's amazing as you look at the New Testament, as you look at the the writers later on, whether it be Paul or John or Peter or somebody else, as you're looking at the writings, how often things that Jesus said, even things that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount are repeated and those themes are expounded upon, elaborated on, even through the God-breathed text that's given to us in the New Testament. But not just in our scriptures, but even very early on, there were some writers who were writing down some helps for how to live and follow Jesus. In fact, we have one manuscript that's really a manual for Christian living that's dated as early as the year 50. So less than 25 years after the time of Christ, there's a little book called the Didac. It's also known as the Teaching of the Twelve Apostles. And it's, there were instructions in there for how to do baptism, for how to do communion. And the first half of that book is just really called The Way of Life. And in the way of life, the very first verse, which was important, the very first thing anybody needed to know about how to follow Jesus comes from the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to get to how Jesus said it in just a moment. But look how it said right here. There are two ways, one of life and one of death. And there is a great difference between those two ways. Now, there's a second verse in this little Christian manual. It says this, first, you shall love God who made you. Second, you shall love your fellow as yourself. Whatever you do not want to happen to you, do not do to one another. Look at Matthew 7 verse 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. These are the words of Jesus. For this is the law and the prophets. So from very early on, They were figuring out how to follow Jesus. And the main statement that everybody took away, the one statement that people were talking about comes from the Sermon on the Mount, the exact portion that we're looking at today. Look at verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. Remember that first verse from that early Christian manual. There is a way that leads to life. There's a way that leads to death. And I would add this. There is no third way. There is no middle ground. And when it comes to eternity, there is a clear choice that's been put in front of all of us. A path to life, and a path to death. And also in our daily Christian walk, when it comes to living, there is a clear choice to make day by day. There's a path to life and there is a path to death as you make your 35,000 choices. 
Did you know that's how many you make? You make 35,000 decisions a day. I didn't believe it when I heard it. Our creative arts pastor, Phil, he was throwing this out in a meeting this week, and I thought he was lying, so I went to Google, and Google verified it. It's on Google, so it's true. (laughs) Kids make around 3,000 choices a day. Adults, people with jobs, you make around 35,000 choices a day. Is it any wonder why nobody wants to choose where lunch is, right? I've already made about 12,000 decisions today. Can somebody just pick a restaurant, all right? This is the reason why some of you had a hard time getting dressed this morning. Not that one, not that one, not that one. That one used to fit. It doesn't fit anymore. Maybe it'll fit if I squeeze in. It didn't, it didn't when I squeezed in. We got to try something. I mean, this goes on. You get to 35,000 pretty easy. And in every single choice you make, there's a way that leads to life. There's a way that leads to death. You know how I feel about this. When you pull into the Starbucks parking lot, you have made a choice that leads to life. (laughs) Now, I'm going to upset some of you about this, okay? But I'm just calling it like I see it. When you pull into the Dunkin' Donuts parking lot, (laughs) there's a way that leads to death. Now, we all all know. I I love the people who are clapping right now. Those are my people. We all know Chick-fil-A leads to life. All right? Now, have you seen a Taco Bell commercial lately? Listen, we got to talk. This is not my notes. We got to talk. You can buy a triangle-shaped piece of fried chicken and dip it into, like, cheese Whiz. You get what you get. I mean, there's a way that leads to life, and there is a way that leads to death. Be careful which that you choose in your health, in your work, in your family, entertainment choices, friendships, the things that come out of your mouth. There is death and life in the power of the tongue. In every one of our 35,000 decisions, there there is a way that leads to life. There's a way that leads to death. You can order your life around the teachings and plans and purposes and the person of Jesus and take hold of the life that's truly life. Or you can order your life around the world systems, its plans, its distractions, and you can align yourself there and choose death. It comes up over and over again, the teachings of Jesus and the New Testament. It's statements like this. You cannot gain the world and keep your soul. You cannot do it. You cannot serve God and money. You, it's either his kingdom or it's your kingdom. It's either his will or it's your will. There is a way that leads to life. There is a way that leads to death. There is no third way. There is no middle ground. To the hearers in the first century, it would have sounded like what Moses said in Deuteronomy chapter 11 when he said, see, I'm setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and the curse, if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but instead turn aside from the way that I'm commanding you to go after other gods that you have not known. The blessing is to listen to, to follow, to love the Lord your God and his commands and to have him infused into every area of your life, to order every area of your life around Jesus. The curse comes from failing to listen to him and trying to do it all on your own. 
There is no middle ground. And we live in a culture that celebrates the middle ground. We love words like moderate and compromise. We are constantly hedging our bets. Pastor Mark Batterson says this, and I share in this with him. He says, my greatest concern as a pastor is that people can go to church every week of their lives and never go all in with Jesus Christ. They can follow rules, but they never follow Christ. What a tragedy. But there is no middle ground. There is no moderate. There is no compromise. There's a way that leads to life and there's a way that leads to death. And Jesus says that the road that leads to life is narrow and it's difficult. Now, when I first started studying this passage, it occurred to me that there is another passage that to me makes it sound like Jesus is contradicting himself. Look at Matthew chapter 11. Matthew 11 verse 28 says this, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now this seems to be a bit of a contradiction to me at first glance. And when Jesus is talking about a yoke, he's not referring to something out in a field or anything, but rather this was a, a common way for a rabbi to refer to his teachings and his interpretation of scripture. If following Jesus leads to life, and the way is narrow and difficult, then how can his yoke be easy and his burden be light? Perhaps it's not easy and light the way we think it is. Pastor John Piper says this, the reason it is hard is not because Jesus is a hard taskmaster. It's hard because the world is a hard place to enjoy Jesus above all. Our own suicidal tendency to enjoy other things more must be crushed. Jesus is not the burden. When we come to him, he is the burden lifter, the soul satisfier, and the life giver. It sounds so simple when you read it on a page, doesn't it? Jesus is not the burden. He's the burden lifter. And can I tell you today that if following Jesus doesn't seem to make sense to you at all times, I I know it's, Jesus says, it's hard, it's difficult to follow my ways. But can I tell you something that makes it even more difficult? Following Jesus is really difficult without Jesus. And I get concerned that a lot of people, even perhaps some of us in the church today, are trying to follow Jesus without Jesus. And so he says, come to me. It's a forceful command. It's not something pretty to just paint on the wall in some pastoral setting. Come now, he's saying. Come continually. It's not a one-time event. It's something that we must do over and over and over again in order to live in his presence and to choose the path that leads to life rather than the path that leads to death. You know, my boys are older now, so we don't have this issue, but they're 14 and 11. But when they were toddlers and we would walk somewhere together, this passage made sense to me. Because they would, going through the grocery store, you know how you start out, right? You start out, you put the child in the seat at the top, their legs go through that deal. 
And then they get to a point where they don't want to sit there anymore and they start trying to turn that thing into a diving board. And so then you, you progress into, they're grabbing onto the edge of the cart and now dad is going through the grocery store at alarming speed, but they're hanging on, white knuckling it and they're fine. But then you get to the next step where they begin to walk alongside you. But they never walk just alongside you, do they? I mean, I'm walking through the, through the grocery store aisle and then I turn around and suddenly one of them is 15 yards behind me putting things in their pockets. We don't do that here. That's not, that's not what we do. We haven't covered that portion yet. And I mean, at least the grocery store, at least there's aisles. But I'm continually saying, hey, come back over to dad. Come here. Come. And sometimes it's forceful. Come here now. Please come to me. And then... Perhaps you get a little more adventurous. Perhaps you're outside. Perhaps you're walking through the woods and and you can't see each other clearly all the time. And as the dad, I'm constantly finding myself saying, come, come to me, come be right next to me because everyone defaults to drifting. All of us default to easy. It's so much easier to take the broad path, to choose another way. And Jesus continues to say, come, come. Your decisions at some point in your life may have caused you to be derailed or have taken you off course. But the message of Jesus is the same for you today. It's come. From the song that we were singing earlier, it's come home. No matter what it is that you've done, no matter how far you've drifted, no matter how distant you've been, no matter how you've tried to do life on your own, the message of the Savior is forceful and it's strong and he is representing the Father who says, come, come home, come now. The way is hard and those who find it are few. The powers of this world and the enemy of God will do everything he can to keep you distracted and disconnected from Jesus. He will try to make you follow Jesus without Jesus and it cannot be done. And you find yourself perhaps alone on a path realizing that it can't be done and unsure of what you should do. And Jesus' message to you is come home. Come to me today. Come follow after me. Now there's a second section of the Sermon on the Mount that we're gonna cover today, but I think you'll see the thread as we go. Matthew chapter seven, verse 15 says this. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. You will recognize them by their fruits. Now, Jesus is talking about false prophets, even false messiahs. Historically, before and after the life of Christ, maybe even one during the life of Christ, there were others who prop themselves up as a Messiah. Certainly there were plenty of people who were trying to lead revolts against the Roman Empire and against the corruption of the Herods. And Jesus says, you will recognize them by the fruits of their lives. They were phonies, they were fakes. But not just in the time of Christ, but can I say even in our own day, there are false prophets. 
we are approaching 20 years old as a church. We started on September 7th, 1997. On Sunday, September 10th this year, we're going to celebrate our 20-year anniversary. We're so grateful for all that God has done. But can I tell you, over the years, in this church, there have been false prophets. Many times they infiltrate our groups, our married couples groups or singles or men's or women's. They, they infiltrate. They're often very, very slick and they're very smart. They seem pretty harmless. They're very, very subtle. And we've called them out from time to time and, and tried to get face-to-face meetings, which they rarely, if not never, they'll never do it. But I've watched as people in our church have been led away from folks. I've watched as marriages have crumbled because you followed someone who was slick. I've watched as kids be trampled on as Christ followers get led astray by these wolves in sheep's clothing. And can I tell you, I'm camping on this for a moment because as a pastor, there are a few things that have made me more angry over the years. They use the language of compromise. Let me give you a few things to watch out for. Whenever you hear someone teach that the Bible is anything other than the very words and breath of God, they are a false prophet. And listen, there are popular teachers out there even today leading thousands of people astray by saying things like all paths lead to God and that Jesus being referred to as Christ in the scriptures is just a way of saying that he represents some cosmic force in the universe and we will all get there. We will all achieve it in this life or the next. Can I tell you something? They are false prophets. When someone blurs the lines and makes our sinful choices acceptable, they are a false prophet. There is no middle ground. If you, want to, if you want middle ground and compromise, then follow a politician. But if you want to take hold of the life that's truly life, then follow Jesus with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all your strength, with everything that you've got. If it doesn't pass the test of scripture, it doesn't pass. There's a way that leads to life and there's a way that leads to death. There is no middle ground. And Jesus says, you recognize these prophets by the evidence you see in their life. And I think the same can be said of us as followers of Jesus. You recognize them by their fruit. In a teaching the night before his death, Jesus said this in John chapter 15. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, perhaps you've heard this illustration before. Jesus is, is giving the illustra- illustration of a vineyard. And he's saying in the vineyard that God the Father is the keeper of the vineyard, he mentions earlier. And then he says, I am the vine and my followers are the branches. And this seems like it's obvious, but it, it's worth going over again. A branch cannot bear fruit without being attached to the vine. There's no other way. There's no middle ground. Apart from me, you can do nothing, Jesus says. If you walk by an apple tree and you see a branch on the ground, you're either going to find a branch with nothing on it or a branch with an apple on it that is rotten or diseased and that is dying. The healthy fruit is attached to the healthy branches on the tree. And every day we have a choice to whether or not we're going to abide in Jesus. There's a way that leads to life 
and there's a way that leads to death. What is the blessing of abiding, of remaining, of coming close to Jesus? Well, there's fruit in your life. Fruit that remains even. Fruit that God is using for his honor and for his glory. There's the ability to create more fruit. That's part of the blessing. What else is part of it? The pruning of the father. Pruning is part of the blessing. You see, oftentimes when we are being pruned, we mistakenly think that we're being punished. And some people in the pruning moments of life actually disconnect from the vine, Jesus, and then they lose their ability to bear more fruit. Pruning is not punishment. Pruning is preparation for more fruit. I love going to the apple orchards of of North Georgia at the, the right time of year. You know what I'm talking about? I love anywhere that lets you pick. They, 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 like the straw, there's a strawberry farm not too far from here that you pick, right? You go, you buy a basket and you pay $12 for the basket. And I always ask the question, how many strawberries can I put in the basket? Well, as, as many as you can fit in the basket. Yeah, 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 yeah. How many do most people get in the basket? I don't know, 50. All right. So I've just walked out of there thinking I'm gonna beat this, all right? I'm gonna get like 75 to 100 in this basket so that when y'all show up, they charge you more for the basket. That's my goal, all right? I'm wanting to make an impression. And so I'm feeling, I'm putting, I mean, I'm mounding up the berries and doing all this stuff. I'm not cheating. I'm not putting anything in my pocket. I just, I want to see what I can do. I mean, I might carry it like this, but I'm, we're going to see what we can do. I love that about the apple orchard. You know, they give you that little paper bag. You know what I'm talking about? Paper bag, because they don't think it stretches, all right? That thing will stretch, they charge me $16 or whatever it is for that little bag. How many, bag, how many apples do you think you can get in here? Uh, most people get eight to 10. All right, we'll see. I'll be back. It doesn't stretch, but it tears. All right? And that's legal. Can I just tell you? That counts. If it tears just a little, it breathes just a little bit. I mean, now my approach is like when you were a kid, you were making paper airplanes and you knew you could tear it just right to make it fly the further. I can tear it just right and we're gonna get more than eight to 10 apples in here, okay? We're gonna have a feast for weeks to come because we're gonna get 20, 25 apples in here and people are gonna look at me strange, but I'm telling you because it's piled up to here, but I'm telling you, it's the same bag and it's legal. I lo- you can bear, they can bear more fruit because you came and picked the fruit. It's a brilliant Economic strategy for these farms. Did you know that every year an apple tree can, uh, just a a medium-sized dwarf apple tree can do three to six bushels of apples a year. Say, how much is a bushel? I don't know, I had to look it up. So here's, here's how many it is. It's anywhere from, depending on the size of the apples, four to 600 apples a year. That's a lot for one tree but it wouldn't work if we weren't picking the fruit. It wouldn't work if there wasn't continual pruning or cleaning of the branches. Now, let me tell you what makes it optimal. The apple tree in your yard is not producing like this. I know this. Because what makes it optimal is if you have them in an orchard. And on one acre, the optimum is to have 20 trees on an acre. 
And if you put all of those trees together and everything's happening in nature the way that it should be because they are all together, you can find yourself from one acre, 14 or 15,000 apples a year. Pruning is not punishment. Pruning is preparation for more fruit. Look at, look at what else Jesus says in John 15. If you abide in me and my words in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. In my Bible, the word prove is circled because nothing does more to prove the existence of God than the fruit of his people. And the people of God called the church should be a demonstration of life. We should be the wealthiest of orchards. And when it's not, it's because the people of the church are choosing not to abide in the vine. And so my plea to you today from Jesus is come to Jesus that we might bear much fruit that the people of Northwest Atlanta could come and enjoy the fruit of Almighty God. That's what we're here to do. There should be nothing better than walking through the orchard of a church. It should be the place where you find God on display over and over and over again and where you're fed spiritually because a room full of people, a church full of people, a family full of people are connected to Jesus and bearing fruit. But it doesn't work if you're not connected to him. You'll either bear fruit or not. Apart from him, you can do nothing. There is no middle ground. There's a way that leads to life and there's a way that leads to death. So how are you doing? When is the last time you sat still in a closet or in your car or in a classroom or a cubicle or where with no one else around and you just truly allowed your heart to be connected to God's heart? Maybe there's scripture there, I hope there is, but you're not just reading it to do the plan and check the box. You're not just praying something that you've prayed a thousand times before, although there's nothing wrong with that. It might keep you in a rhythm or get you in a rhythm, whatever it is. But where you're sitting still and allowing almighty God to fill you and allowing Jesus to infuse his spirit so that it flows through the branch of your life. You can't follow Jesus without Jesus. But allowing his spirit to control, to fill you day by day by day, you'll find that choosing Jesus is hard. The way is difficult, but without him, it's impossible. And when you choose him, when you come to him, you find the yoke to be a little bit easier and the burden to be a bit lighter. And then the last portion of the Sermon on the Mount that we're gonna look at today, Matthew chapter seven, verse 21 says this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, I was raised in most of my upbringing in an independent fundamentalist Baptist upbringing. I made it, it's okay. And some of you did too. And these verses were taught to me with a tone of fear. 
These were some of the most fearful verses in the New Testament. I want you to understand this. Jesus did not teach this to create fear. However, he is giving a, a fair warning and saying clearly, you cannot fake your way into the kingdom of heaven. Now, most of the time when Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, he is referring to something current. He's referring to how we live our lives with God in control of our lives. But what he's referring to here is about a future day. And a day when there will be people who attempt to argue that they did good and honorable things, even things that have been done in the name of Jesus, mighty works, feeding the hungry, standing up against evil and injustice. And to some of those people, unfortunately, Jesus will have to say, I never knew you. And that only scares you if you don't know him. Romans chapter 10 makes it clear for how to believe him and know it. The Apostle Paul says, if you confess with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You can't just say it, but if you confess and believe it, you will be saved. There are people day by day who try to follow Jesus without Jesus and it cannot be done. Jesus was asked a question that Luke records in Luke chapter 13 and he goes back and teaches this over again and he adds one word to it that I want you to see today. Luke chapter 13 verse 24 says this, strive to enter through the narrow door for many I tell you will seek to enter and will not be able. A few verses down, Jesus would say that there's coming a day when the door will be shut and people will knock on the door, clamoring and saying, we ate in your presence. We paid attention to the teachings. We even tried to sing along in the worship songs. We went to church and he will say, depart from me. I never knew you. And it only scares you if you're trying to follow Jesus without Jesus. And I tell you something that's on my heart. It's always on my heart for churches like ours in this community. Understand this, you cannot generally be around the things of God and just be pulled in through the tide. You cannot just generally agree that Jesus and God are good ideas. You cannot even just serve or be involved in the church and just be pulled in. Jesus will have to say, depart from me. I never knew you. But if it's personal for you, if you confess with your mouth, if you believe in your heart, then you are saved. And then from that moment on, you will want to abide in Jesus Christ. You will work to surrender your life in a greater way over and over and over again. But it will be Difficult, And that's why Jesus adds one word to this teaching. It's right at the beginning of verse 24. It's the word strive. Strive to enter through the narrow door. Can I tell you what it means? The word strive means to fight or be at war. Listen, the Christian life is a battle. But this word, whenever it's used throughout the New Testament, it's only used eight or nine times. This, this Greek word is always addressed to the group. 
because you weren't meant to be in this battle alone. You weren't meant to fight it alone. Why is being part of a church so important? Because with all of our flaws and imperfections, we were meant to live out the Christian life fighting side by side together. It's the only way to do it. There's a way that leads to life and there's a way that leads to death. There is no third way. You might say, I've been hurt by the church. Can I tell you, it's not surprising It's a group of people fighting in a battle together. And so if you've been hurt today, I'm sorry, but let's dust one another off, forgive one another and keep on fighting. You weren't meant to do this life alone. It's too easy to be attacked when you're alone. We were meant to strive together, united by one thing. The apostle Paul says it in 1 Timothy. He says, for it is for this we labor and strive because we have fixed our hope on the living God who is the savior of all men, especially of believers. We are throwing ourselves into this totally. You'll never win any battle by going into it halfway, but if you'll go in with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, you, won't, you will not only win the battle, but you'll discover life that is truly life because with this God, we have resurrection life at our disposal. It's an entirely different thing. It's not just a good life. It's not just a religious life. It's an overcoming life. That's what he offers to us. That's the life that he's trying to lead us to. There is a way that leads to life and there is a way that leads to death. There is no third way. There is no third way. And so today the choice is clear. With eternity in the balance to choose Jesus to come to Jesus with your everyday choices in the balance with your 35,000 decisions today decisions about your marriage decisions about your kids decisions about your work decisions about finances about every little thing choose life choose Jesus continue to come to him over and over and over again he is right there compelling you to come he says come on we're going to do this together we're going to do this narrow way together come on would you bow your heads with me we're going to finish this service today with communion and so those of you that are helping serve communion you can go ahead and get in your places if you're here as a follower of Jesus Christ as a believer in Jesus this is a perfect time for us to consider communion together this is a great opportunity for you to take stock of the choices and decisions you make in your everyday life. And if there's an area of your life today where you would say, I am not choosing life, if there's an area of your life where the Spirit of God compels you and lays on your heart that you have been choosing death, would you allow the Spirit of God to do its work right now? Would you choose life? The Scriptures tell us not to come to the Lord's table in an unworthy manner. And these Wafers represent the broken body of Jesus Christ. 
nailed to a cross. And this juice represents his blood shed for you. And every time we come to this table, we're commanded to look at our lives, to allow the spirit of God to take a deep look and to lay on our hearts what he would. I want to give just a moment to allow that to happen. So just keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. Follower of Jesus today, allow the spirit to speak to you. heads bowed and eyes closed you cannot look at this passage today I cannot look at this passage today without making it clear that Jesus has made a clear choice he has made the path clear there is coming a day when the doors will be shut there is coming a day where God will accept those who have put their faith and trust in him into an eternity that we cannot even begin to understand. And today, if you have never done that, if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, I wanna invite you to take the opportunity to do that in your own words, in your own words even now. If you would acknowledge that there are moments in your life that you make mistakes, that you were born into sin, but that Jesus died and shed his blood on the cross to forgive those things. And he's risen that you might take hold of life that's truly life. If you're here today, if you would pray in your own words, I'm gonna pray for you, sort of a sample prayer, but pray in your own words from your heart to God. Say, God, in this moment today, I come before you I don't even feel like I know how to pray. I've not done this this way before. I didn't expect to today. But God, right now, I just acknowledge before you that, yeah, I've, I've, I've made mistakes. I've, I've sinned. And I thank you. And I believe in my heart and I confess that you sent your son Jesus to shed his blood, to die on a cross for those sins, that somehow that was for me. God, I trust and believe today by faith that that same Jesus three days later rose from the dead and he's seated right next to you today. And because of that, one day I'll be able to live forever in your presence. Heads bowed and eyes closed. If you prayed that today, listen, it is the most crucial thing we do as a church to come alongside you as you begin your journey of following Jesus so today if you would you received a card when you came in if you are receiving Christ today would you take that card and fill it out and take it to our help center we've got a gift we'd love to give you someone would love to pray with you if you want to take the time we'd love to do that as well to help you get started in your walk with Christ